3: Welcome to Season 2, Episode 14 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. This is part 2 of a two part story. Please listen to Season 2, Episode 13 for more details on this case. Listener caution is advised, as this episode contains adult themes and descriptions that some listeners may find distressing. On June 30th, 2003, a 14-year-old girl was found stabbed to death behind a wall on Rowan's Dyke Path, a countryside shortcut in Dowkeith, Scotland. The investigation into her death continued for nine months with little result, but all that would change in April 2004.
1: On the night she died, Jodie Jones was using this shortcut to get to her boyfriend's house. She never made it. Somewhere down this lane, she came into contact with her killer. She was subjected to what police described as a brutal and frenzied attack with a knife. Her body dumped behind this wall. Since then, Lothian and Borders police have spared neither manpower nor money in the hunt for the killer. Meticulous searches have been conducted around the community of Dalkeith, but progress, it had been thought, was slow. Late last year, the force presented all of its evidence to the prosecutor's office and asked if they could now take the next step in their investigation. Just before 8 o'clock this morning, officers took a 15-year-old boy and his mother from their home near Edinburgh and into custody. They spent the rest of the day searching the house. The boy has been charged with murder. It's understood his mother is this evening being charged with attesting to murder.
3: On the morning of April 14th, police officers arrived at the home of Luke Mitchell. Both Luke's mother, Corin Mitchell, and his brother Shane were also arrested and charged with attempting to pervert the course of justice. Luke appeared the following day at Edinburgh Sheriff Court but couldn't be identified by the press as he was a minor. Newspaper headlines read, Boy 15 charged with murder of schoolgirl and boy held over murder of Jodie Jones. But people already knew who the 15-year-old boy was. When investigators searched Luke Mitchell's bedroom, there was a pungent stench of ammonia in the air. At first, they were unable to ascertain where the smell was coming from, but they noticed a plastic bottle lying under Luke's bed containing a cloudy yellow liquid. After searching through the teenager's bedside drawers, they unearthed an additional 20 bottles, some of which had been stuffed into his socks. Police also rifled through Luke's music collection and noted a number of CDs by Marilyn Manson along with a knife pouch which had been inscribed with 666. The sequence of numbers are often referred to as the number of the beast and in popular culture it is also a recognised symbol for the Antichrist. Laboratory testing was completed on the contents of the bottles found in Luke's bedroom, and the liquid turned out to be urine. He was held in custody until the trial, and was named publicly on July 24th when he turned 16. On October 6th, 2004, Donald Finlay QC, who was acting on behalf of the defence, requested the trial be moved out of Edinburgh. He believed that pre-trial publicity had created a risk that the jury would be prejudiced because of the volume of widespread speculation that Jodie's killer was Luke, given the interest police had shown in him during their initial investigation. The application to move the trial was rejected. The trial began at Edinburgh High Court on November 11th and Luke Mitchell was charged with the murder of Jodie Jones. The prosecution believed that Luke repeatedly hit Jodie, tying her hands behind her back, compressing her neck and stabbing her to death. Luke was also charged with possession of knives in a public place and the supply of cannabis resin to other pupils in school, including Jodie. He pled not guilty to all charges and the defence blamed a person or persons unknown for Jodie's murder. The charges of attempting to pervert the course of justice against Luke's mother and brother, Corin and Shane Mitchell, had been dropped before the trial. Members of the jury were made aware that they should come forward if they knew anyone involved in the case or had any personal connection with his circumstances. No one stepped forward, so the trial began. However, five days later, on November 16th, the trial was delayed as it was discovered that a member of the jury had a child who had attended the same school as both Jodie and Luke, so the jury was discharged. A new jury of eight women and seven men was set up two days later, and the trial continued. The judge, Lord Nemo Smith, stressed the importance of being able to serve free from prejudice, stating it causes major problems if jurors have to be excused after the start of a major trial, as we have already seen this week. That day the jury were shown footage of Rowan's dyke path and the woodland that surrounded it. Alan Turnbull QC acting on behalf of the prosecution questioned Detective Constable Rory Hamilton during his presentation of video and photos of the scene of the crime. Detective Hamilton highlighted a tree located close to where Jodie's body was found which had the initials J.J. and L.M. carved into the bark. The prosecution presented three pieces of crucial evidence that they believed tied Luke Mitchell to the crime. The first was the circumstances in which Jodie's body was discovered. The group that went looking for Jodie included Jodie's sister Janine, Janine's fiancée Stephen Kelly, Jodie's grandmother Alice Walker and Luke Mitchell and his dog. As the party continued down Rowan's dyke path, Luke stopped at the V-shaped gap in the wall before climbing over it and discovering Jodie's body. Janine Jones described in court that up until Jodie's body was found, Luke seemed his usual self. Members of the search party explained that he went straight towards the spot where Jodie was discovered. Stephen Kelly followed Luke over the wall, and Alice Walker then heard the sound of someone being sick. After she scaled the wall, Alice saw the body of what she considered to be an animal, before realising it was her granddaughter. As Luke had headed straight to the scene of the murder, the prosecution believed this proved he was involved as he knew where Jody's body was located. Another piece of key evidence presented was that between 4.50pm and 4.55pm on the day of Jodie's murder, while in her car, Andrea Bryson spotted a male and female standing near the beginning of Rowan's Dyke Path near East Houses. The male, who Andrea Bryson described as having long messy hair, was wearing a khaki green hip-length jacket with the collar up. He had his arms by his side, with his palms facing towards the female. He also looked as though he had something in his pocket. The female looked to have black shoulder-length hair that was tied in a ponytail. She wore a light pair of trousers, possibly jeans, and a navy blue jumper. The witness later identified the male to be Luke Mitchell from a book of photographs she was shown by police officers on August 14, 2003. Andrea Bryson explained to the court, He had the same shape of face, same colouring and same colour and style of hair. I am as sure as I can be that it is the same male. Acting on behalf of the prosecution, Alan Turnbull asked whether she recognised that person in the courtroom. The witness replied, I don't know. She was then asked if anyone in the courtroom was similar to the person she had identified. She replied, I can't say. The third piece of key evidence was the testimony of Shane Mitchell, Luke's brother. In a statement given to police on July 3rd, 2003, Shane initially told police that he got home at 3.40pm But four days later, when providing a new statement which clarified the day's events, he arrived just before 5pm. Luke Mitchell claimed he was home during this period. Shane had told police during his interview in July 2003 that he had seen his brother in the kitchen mashing potatoes. However, when he was interviewed in April 2004, his story changed. Shane Mitchell told the court that he arrived home just before 5pm to use the internet but didn't recall anyone being at the property until his mother arrived at 5.16pm. Shane was asked by Alan Turnbull what he was doing on the computer, but Shane said that he couldn't remember. He was then confronted with pictures of Jodie's body after she had been attacked. Visibly shaken, Shane asked for a break. Alan Turnbull addressed him and stated, "You look a bit horrified. They are not pleasant, I know. But the reason I've asked you to look at these is so you can appreciate what you are dealing with. I can't let embarrassment stand in the way of getting to the bottom of this. Shane said he was watching pornography. Alan Turnbull questioned Shane further. When you went on the computer to access pornography sites, you thought that the house was empty. Yes, Shane replied. I want you to reflect on the question whether Luke was there when you went downstairs. Do you think he was there? Alan Turnbull asked. Shane stated, I don't know. Luke Mitchell had told police in his initial interview that he was home during the period of Jody's murder, claiming he played music and made his mother and brother dinner before leaving sometime between 530 pm and 5 40 pm. The prosecution didn't believe the crime was sexually motivated, and they presented a variety of circumstantial evidence that suggested Luke Mitchell was responsible. During the trial, cyclist Leonard Kelly told the jury that he was travelling along Rowan's dyke path between 5.05pm and 5.20pm and heard what he thought was a strangling sort of sound coming from behind a wall near where Jodie was found. He told the court that he believed it was two boys fighting. Around the same time, John Ferris and Gordon Dickey, Jody's cousins, stated they were travelling on the same path on a moped Even stopping briefly near the wall, however, did not notice Leonard Kelly or hear any of the sounds he described. Two further witnesses, Lorraine Fleming and Rosemary Walsh, who were driving home, explained to the jury that they saw Luke around 5.45pm at a gate near the west end of the path near his home. Describing the person they saw, who looked to be about 17 years old, wearing dark clothing, including a dark green jacket with his hair like Liam Gallagher. During the trial, Lorraine Fleming stated, He was facing me. As he came into view, I turned around and said to Rosemary, He looks as if he's been up to no good. It was just the way he was standing. He wasn't even looking as if he was waiting on anyone. You actually had to see him to know what I mean. He was watching the pavement, but as we were approaching, he actually flicked his hair back off his face, and that is when I realised it was a young boy. During the trial, reference was also made to the fact Luke Mitchell provided false statements regarding his cannabis use and the amount of contact he had with Kimberly Thompson during an interview in August 2003. Luke also provided contradicting statements during his initial interviews concerning his failure to raise the alarm when Jodie didn't show up after they had agreed to meet. The prosecution believed that Luke had owned a green jacket similar to the one he was said to have been wearing on the evening that Jodie was murdered. A police search of his home was conducted on July 4th, however no jacket matching that description was found. Investigating officers believed that this might have been disposed of using a log burner in Luke's back garden, which was thought to have been used between 6.30pm and 7.30pm, and later at 10pm on June 30th. Neighbours George Ramage and Nicholas Franklin told the court that there had been an unusual smell emanating from the garden around 10pm. George Ramage, whose home backs on to the Mitchells' property, recalled telling his wife that it was a strange time to be having a barbecue. Nicholas Franklin, a neighbour on the same street as the Mitchells, described seeing a brick-built log burner alight in the garden around 10pm and could hear voices. However could not confirm who the individuals were his wife patricia who was also at the trial said she became aware that the log burner was being used around 6:30 p.m. and then later at 10 p.m. further evidence was presented by the prosecution implying that luke's mother corin mitchell was not a credible witness the prosecution believed her relationship with her son was unhealthy as she was indulging inappropriate behaviour which undermined her alibi for Luke on the evening of June 30th 2003. During October 2003 she had taken Luke to a tattoo parlour in which she verified that Luke was over the age of 18 by using fake identification. The tattoo Luke chose was a skull with flames coming from it, after which Corin Mitchell allegedly said, that's really him. Corin denied these allegations However, this claim was bolstered by witnesses from the tattoo parlour, along with fingerprints on the consent form. The evidence was admitted after a defence objection, but the jury was directed that this was only relevant to Corin Mitchell's credibility. The jury was informed Luke Mitchell had an interest in knives, with John Ferris, Jodie's cousin, confirming that he often saw Luke carrying a blade. Witness Matthew Maraska, who had been the detachment commander of an Army Cadet Force platoon in Bonnie Rig while Luke was in attendance, had also seen him with a lock knife. The knife was confiscated and returned to Luke after training had finished. Knives had been confiscated and destroyed in the past, however the Army Cadet Force had been informed by a police officer that this amounted to theft, so they had to be returned to their owners after training. During December 2003, Luke's mother purchased him a knife along with a pouch and the following April, during a search of the Mitchell home, the pouch was discovered, but the knife was missing. The outside of the pouch was engraved with JJ 1989-2003, which correlated to the years of Jodie's birth and death, along with the words, the finest day that I ever had was when tomorrow never came, etched on the inside. The first part of the engraving was a reference to the Nirvana song, On a Plane. Luke had also written the same words on a card he had left for Jodie at the scene of her murder. The prosecution put forward more evidence that Luke exhibited erratic behaviour and enjoyed watching horror films and pornography. As part of their case against his character, evidence was submitted which proved that Luke had purchased a CD copy of Marilyn Manson's The Golden Age of Grotesque two days after Jodie's life had been taken. The album contained a DVD which included a short surrealist film called Doppelhertz, in which two females are bound together in a leather garment and white hoods are placed over their heads. The jury was also shown several paintings by Marilyn Manson that illustrated the killing of actress Elizabeth Short in Hollywood in 1947. The musician had uploaded these to his website. Also known as The Black Dahlia, Elizabeth Short was cut in half, suffering other wounds to her face, breast and torso. The prosecution claimed this was an inspiration for Luke's actions. Luke's school notebooks were also presented to the jury and contained a number of satanic symbols which included the numbers 666, references to Satan and the words, I have tasted the devil's green blood. When these notes were spotted while Luke was still at school, a concerned teacher offered Luke counselling, but he never showed up. The press reported that Luke would regularly stub cigarettes out on his hand, along with carving 666 onto his right forearm. Luke wrote a number of essays in which he questioned God's existence and that he was following Satan's teachings. An extract of one of the essays read, People like you need satanic people like me to keep the balance. So what if I am a goth in a Catholic school? So what if I dress in baggy clothes? Just because I am more violent than others and cut myself, does that justify some pompous git of a teacher to refer me to a psychiatrist? Just because I have chosen to follow the teachings of Satan does not mean I need psychiatric help. As the trial progressed, pathologist Professor Anthony Basutil told the court that there was a minimum of 12 superficial and deep cuts to Jody's neck and that a hole had been cut into a windpipe. Alan Turnbull asked, would that sort of damage be fatal? Professor Anthony Basutil replied, that would be fatal almost immediately. Luke Mitchell didn't give evidence during the trial, however some of the details of his movements after Jody's death and outline of his defence were positioned through the interviews he gave officers as both a witness and when he was interviewed under caution. Luke Mitchell firmly denied he had anything to do with the murder of Jodie Jones and said he was at home during the time of the attack. The defence heavily disputed the allegation that Luke knew where Jodie's body was located, as during Luke's police interviews he explained that he went past the gap in the wall only to retrace his steps after being alerted by his dog that something was behind it. Luke stated that he had seen Jodie at school during June 30th, 2003, but he had walked home when Jodie had taken the bus. Luke said he returned home around 4pm and the pair began corresponding via text message 20 minutes later. The two agreed that Jodie would head to New Battle, however an exact time was not confirmed. A final text between the two was sent at 4.40pm. Luke recalled that he listened to some music as he made dinner and his mother returned home around quarter past five. His brother Shane came downstairs to get his dinner and then went back up to his room. Luke claimed that he left the property between 5.30pm and 5.40pm around the same time he called Jodie's home and spoke to Alan Ovens who confirmed Jodie had left. At precisely 4.54pm Luke made a call to the talking clock. Luke apparently waited at the entrance of the estate on New Battle Road Moving between that point and closer to the west end of Rowan's Dyke Path, he waited for 45 minutes. Believing that Jodie was not coming out, either being held up or still being grounded, Luke wandered into New Battle Abbey, walking up and down the path before contacting a friend, David High, and making arrangements to meet him instead. Luke had been spotted by some fellow pupils around 5.45pm sitting on a wall close to his home in New Battle. After spending some time at the Abbey, Luke went home, arriving between 9.05pm and 9.10pm. He watched television until contact was made between him and Judith Jones, Jodie's mother, and they realised Jodie was missing. There was no DNA evidence that tied Luke to the crime scene. The defence strongly argued that Luke was at home during the time of Jodie's attack and this was corroborated by his mother. During a lengthy cross-examination of John Ferris, Jodie's cousin, who had been on Rowan's dyke path on the evening of June 30th 2003, he admitted he had sold cannabis to Luke on multiple occasions and Luke had in fact owed him money prior to Jodie's death. John Ferris couldn't explain why he had not gone to the police sooner when an appeal for him to come forward was initially issued and when asked why he cut his hair short so soon after Jodie's murder, he told the court, do not like curly hair. The paintings of Elizabeth Short's murder in 1947 by Marilyn Manson were publicly available on his website, though there was no evidence that Luke ever visited that site on his computer. Under cross-examination, a number of witnesses were alleged to have seen Luke during the night of Jodie's murder, however the defence insisted that their memories of the events of June 30th were heavily influenced by the tabloids as at the time of the investigation Luke was often mentioned in their pages. Lorraine Fleming, who spotted Luke on the evening of Jody's murder, was asked by Donald Finley that Luke was doing nothing more but standing against the gate. The witness agreed and admitted that he looked to be doing nothing wrong. She was then asked, He was doing nothing that was in any way wrong, menacing, threatening or distressing. Is that correct? Yes, the witness replied, but added, It just didn't look right. I'm sorry, but it didn't. Lorraine Fleming reported the sighting of a youth to police as soon as she heard that Jodie had been murdered but was unaware at the time that it was Luke Mitchell. She saw a newspaper report which featured a photo of Luke and she explained that it was the individual she had seen. Lorraine Fleming had told police that a photo of Luke in a paper published on August 15th reminded her of the youth she had spotted. Questioned further by Donald Finley, she was informed that after an exhaustive search, he found that no such paper existed and it was likely this wasn't Luke Mitchell. Lorraine Fleming replied, You are just confusing me. All I can do is tell you what I saw and that is what I am doing. Donald Finley responded, Whatever the picture was, it could not have been Luke Mitchell. He added, What it does demonstrate, does it not, is that people, however genuine, However honest, however hard they are trying, people can sometimes make mistakes which can have very serious consequences. At one point during the trial, the jury were taken to Rowan's Dyke Park and shown the wooded area where Jodie's body was found. A temporary courtroom was also erected in Parliament House, close to the courtroom, where a replica of the wall behind which Jodie's body was found had also been specially constructed. Once all the evidence had been presented, the jury took five hours to reach a verdict. The trial was the longest in Scottish legal history against a single person charged with murder. On Friday, January 21st, 2005, Luke Mitchell was found guilty of the murder of Jodie Jones. As the verdict was read aloud, there were audible sobs from the public gallery. Luke was taken to Polmont Young Offenders Institution while awaiting his sentence. A month after the trial, on February 11th, Luke Mitchell was sentenced to life in prison and would have to serve at least 20 years before he is eligible for parole. When sentencing Luke Mitchell... Judge Lord Nemo Smith said this was one of the worst cases of murder of a single victim to have come before the court in many years. Addressing Luke, the judge stated, Jodie regarded you with affection and trust. She went out joyfully to meet you and she did you no harm. Yet you inflicted a horrible death on her and mutilated her body. Looking back over the evidence, I still cannot fathom what led you to do what you did. Perhaps you do not even know yourself. Throughout the trial, Luke's cannabis use was mentioned, and the judge did not consider this to be a harmless recreational drug. The judge continued, In your case, I think that it may well have contributed to you being unable to make the distinction between fantasy and reality, which is essential for normal moral judgments, and that this, along with other factors I have mentioned, may have meant that when you killed Jodie, you were unable to recognize what a truly wicked deed this was. The judge also believed that Luke was acting out a scene in his mind of Marilyn Manson's paintings of the Black Dahlia when carrying out the killings and could not ignore the similarities to Elizabeth Short's murder. I think that is a sign that you found evil attractive and that you thought there might be a kind of perverted glamour in doing something so wicked, said the judge. I think that you carried out an image of the paintings in your memory when you killed Jody." Lord Nemo Smith postulated that Luke decided to end Jodie's life as she had found out about a relationship he was having with another young girl. I do not know how far in advance you decided to kill Jodie, said the judge. A trigger for deciding to do it then may have been her discovery that you were also carrying on a relationship with Kimberly Thompson and had planned to see her on holiday. Lord Nemo Smith added, your lack of emotion may account for the callous charade in which you pretended to help search for Jodie and inflicted on members of her family the pain of the discovery of her body. After Luke's sentencing, Donald Finlay QC stated, So long as that young man maintains to me that he did not kill Jodie, the fight to clear his name will go on. He explained, It is my client's position that an injustice has been done and that the writing of that is for another occasion.
2: If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers.
0: Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
3: This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Sentair. Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where Center comes in. Scent Air diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Scent Air app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. What's more, all of Scent Air's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safer families in EcoVadis certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try Luxury Home Fragrance Trusted by the Pros by going to Centair.com and using promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order at Centair.com. Detective Chief Superintendent Craig Dobby, who headed the investigation into Jody's death, believed he had a theory for why Luke Mitchell killed his girlfriend. He suggested. One potential motive is the fantasy Luke had about what it would be like to kill someone and get away with it. He had said he could imagine himself killing someone, and he knew how to. That's verging on fantasy. He is exhibiting knowledge. And one influence could well have been Marilyn Manson's depiction of the Black Dahlia murder. No one can escape from the fact that there are glaring similarities between the dead bodies of Jodie Jones and Elizabeth Short as depicted in Marilyn Manson's watercolours. The detective chief superintendent thought that Luke planned to go and stay with Kimberly Thompson for a few weeks after school had broken up and was in the process of telling Jodie about the relationship on the day she died. He added, There is a potential Jodie found out about Luke's planned holiday with Kimberly that Monday. I think he told her at lunchtime. When she got home from school, she called him on her mother's phone and they arranged to meet. That's how they ended up in the woods near Rowan's Dyke pathway that links the communities in which they lived and if she had found out about kimberly she would have challenged him a domestic situation develops and she suffers a blow to her face he cut her lip he later found some blood on a tree trunk and the lip bleeds quite a lot when it's cut i think at this point she turned around and headed eastwards towards home towards safety but then she was struck on the head by something like the limb of a tree Then she was strangled and her head was pulled up and her throat was cut. At that point she was dead. DS Dobby went on to add, It is fair to say that by July 3rd Luke had started to emerge from the pack with a greater degree of suspicion than the rest. It was not substantial but it was enough for me to think it would be remiss not to apply for a warrant to re-interview him that day as a witness. Because of his age I had him cautioned and he volunteered but all he did was make me more suspicious. In the interview, he was confident and very controlling. He displayed a high level of intelligence. By August 14th, our focus was on Luke. He was interviewed again under caution. He was challenging. He was totally in control of himself and challenged the abilities and authority of the police. It was almost like taunts. He had the mental ability to sit and take control of the interview, and that's incredible for someone who has not previously been part of the criminal process. Or not come from a criminal family. He was not phased or shocked or panicking. I have never seen someone so cool and calm and who needed to control the situation. During March 2006, Luke Mitchell was granted leave to appeal against both his conviction and the length of his sentence. Eight months later, his legal team won the right to appeal against his conviction of murder. In May of the following year, BBC Scotland broadcast a documentary about the case. It explored the theory that had not been thoroughly investigated by police, that the murder may have been committed by a fellow student who was a heavy drug user. This individual was said to have had a number of scratches on his face, which had been spotted by a friend who saw him shortly after the murder. The suspect was also said to have handed in an essay at school about a girl being killed in the woods a week before Jodie's body was discovered. The local police force declined to be interviewed for the film, and a spokesman stated, The jurors, having listened to the evidence, came to the conclusion that Luke Mitchell was guilty of murder. It would not be right for us to comment on specific points which have been extensively considered in a court of law. On May 16, 2008, the appeal judge's verdict was given. Sitting over the appeal were Lord Osborne, Lord Kinggarth, and Lord Hamilton. Luke's legal team believed that the trial should have been moved outside of Edinburgh due to the media retention that the case had brought, and this in turn meant Luke couldn't receive a fair trial. They also believed that the case against Luke was wholly circumstantial. They also disputed the methods used by police when Luke was interviewed under caution in August 2003, believing them to be wholly and manifestly unfair. The defence team disputed the identification process used when Andrea Bryson identified Luke Mitchell by picking him out from a range of photographs rather than an identification parade. In the collection of photos, Luke was said to have been the only person with long hair. They also believed that evidence provided by DC Michelle Lindsay should not have been admitted as her appointment as a family liaison officer to the Mitchell family was misleading as she was obtaining evidence that would later be used in the trial. Wearing a black suit and blue shirt, Luke remained expressionless as the judgement was read aloud. The judges believed that during Luke's interview in August 2003 some of the questions could only be described as outrageous. Their conclusion stated, At times the nature of the questioning was such that the questioner did not seem to be seriously interested in a response from the appellant, but rather endeavouring to break him down into giving some hopeful confession by his overbearing and hostile interrogation. Such conduct, particularly where the interviewee was a 15-year-old youth, can only be deplored. Despite the judge's concerns with the interview process, Luke's appeal was rejected. In 2009, it was reported by the press that Luke's defence team argued that the initial police forensic service laboratory report contradicted the prosecution's case that the murder did not have a sexual motive, a semen was found on Jodie's body. A condom was discovered close to the scene, which contained another DNA profile from an unknown male. This individual wasn't identified at the time. However, after he committed a crime three years later in 2008, a match was found on the UK DNA database. This was never addressed during the trial, however no comment was ever given to the press for why this wasn't presented by the original defence team. In March 2010, a knife was discovered by a member of the public near the Dalkeith School community campus, half a mile from where Jody was found. The knife, marked with the name Luke, was tested for DNA, however the results were inconclusive. Luke Mitchell's defence team appealed the length of his sentence on the grounds of his age at the time of the crime, but the following year, in 2011, this appeal was also rejected. In 2012, Luke's lawyers submitted a new appeal to the Scottish Criminal Cases Review Commission to have his conviction overturned. Two years on, The SCCRC found that Luke's human rights had been breached when he was questioned by officers, however there was no grounds to challenge the guilty verdict. Luke Mitchell continues to protest his innocence, however all appeals against his conviction have been rejected. So where are we now? In 2013, a video of Luke Mitchell in Schott's prison, Lanarkshire was uploaded onto YouTube in the video, Luke is attached to a polygraph machine and is being questioned by Secretary of the British Polygraph Association, Terry Mullins. The video, which lasts around 16 minutes, was edited down from two and a half hours and features the independent polygraph expert asking Luke control questions to ascertain the truthfulness of his responses. Luke was then asked directly if he was involved in Jodie's murder.
1: Were you present when Jody was stabbed? No. Did you stab Jodie on the 30th of June 2003? No. Did you know for certain where Jodie's body would be found?
3: No. Filmed on April 25th, 2012, Terry Mullins believed, based on the results, that Luke wasn't lying. The Scottish Prison Service allowed the video to be released, however it did not give explicit permission for it to be uploaded to YouTube. Luke and his campaigners hoped by posting the footage it would raise awareness that he wasn't involved in Jodie's death. Luke's mother Corin spoke to the press after the video was uploaded.
2: Some police forces are using lie detectors for sex offenders to see if they're safe enough to go back to community. So if they feel they're safe enough for them, then it should go the whole board. Luke's a miscarriage of justice. He's lost nearly nine years of his life. Because he's innocent. The
3: jury, by their verdict, didn't believe you when you gave your evidence.
2: No, he didn't. Um, why should people believe you now? Because I've done the lie detector test as
3: well. Corin was interviewed by a number of newspapers and went on to state, Luke says he never had anything to hide. Luke told me he believes the test is a crucial indication of his innocence to go along with other issues, such as a lack of forensic evidence linking him to the crime. Under Scottish law, the results of a polygraph test cannot be used as evidence in a court of law. In October 2017, both the Mail Online and Daily Record reported that Glasgow's miscarriages of justice organisation had confirmed it is helping Luke's campaigners compile a new report to the Scottish Criminal Cases Review Commission. The charity concluded flaws in the police investigation led to a miscarriage of justice while others, who believe Luke Mitchell was responsible for Jodie Jones' murder, feel that justice has been served, and the matter should be closed once and for all. Thank you for listening, and special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information, please visit theywalkamonguspodcast.com. If you would like to support the podcast and receive early access to ad free episodes, head to patreon.com forward slash they walk among us. You can follow us on Twitter at TWAU underscore podcast or follow us on Instagram and Facebook under they walk among us podcast.